I do, want to, um, I do want to acknowledge somebody this morning. Pastor Brian Clark and his wife Kathy are here today. You can stand up or wave or do whatever you want. So great to see you. Pastor Brian is the pastor, uh, co-lead pastor of Riverside Presbyterian who owns Ridgetop Coffee. Who's our new landlord for Grace at Ridgetop. So go ahead and make him feel really welcome if you see him in the hallway. Grease the skids a little bit for when our youth make a mess. So... (laughs) Pastor Brian, it's great to see you today. Kathy, great to have you with us as well. Thank you for coming and being with us. Um, He's on sabbatical, so don't take any of your pastoral care needs to him. Um, (laughs) Your pastor, you're like, hey, David doesn't talk to me. I'll talk to him. Tell him everything. He's fresh. He's fresh. He's on sabbatical. He's got new insight and wisdom. So tell him about all the stuff. Tell him about all the smoke in your life. Now, we're going to continue our series on faith this week. Faith to move forward or faith for life. I think I've, it's the same series, but I keep changing the series name week to week. And we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to be talking about faith for the race. Um, Because I didn't get it to the AV team in time this week, I'm going to read it for us. But I ask that you would stand with me for the reading of Scripture. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, the reason we stand for the reading of Scripture is because this this part is the most important part of the sermon. Everything else, I'm just describing what what, um, I'm helping interpret and helping to apply these to our lives so that we can see the full and experience uh, a greater measure of the value of this passage than maybe just just reading it out loud. So what what we're going to do is we're going to read this, but we stand so that we acknowledge that, man, this is more significant than anything else that happens. And and it causes us to put down our, you know, our games that we're playing on the phone and not to check the scores for just a minute to read the scripture. So that's why we do this. Paul is speaking to his disciple Timothy and he says these words, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would awaken us to the reality of your kingdom this morning that we would be stirred with your purpose, we would be stirred with a passion for you, for your bride, for your kingdom, and for the work that you have set us and called us, uh, called us aside for. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in this passage, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talking to his disciple Timothy, who's leading a church. Timothy's a young man, somewhere in the realm of 18 years old, and he's leading the church. And so he's writing to Timothy and he's giving these instructions and he's telling Timothy, this is how you got to go. And now he's starting to take this turn towards Timothy. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm about to die. I'm going to be gone. And so, you know, somebody's last words when they know they're dying or, or like they try and try and, um, uh, concentrate everything that they've talked about and everything that they've done down to the most important things so that the people who are staying behind will know what really mattered to them. It's great when you have that privilege and that opportunity to be able to see that clearly, um, how things are. But so, so Paul's saying, hey, it's the end, and this is really what you need to know. This is really critical. If you hear nothing else, Timothy, you need to hear these things, and this is a part of that exhortation. And so he's telling Timothy, I'm on my way out. 
Not only does, does Paul work to concentrate his thoughts for Timothy, but when you say, hey, I'm going to be dead here in a minute, you'll pay attention to what somebody's saying much more carefully than, than if it's like you just expect to see them for the next 40 years. Right. Um, if, if I was if I was saying, guys, I'm 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 going to die tonight. We'd be listening differently to see what's important to a dying man, one. And what's the most that I can get out of him? And like, what can I, what, what does he have for me that I can carry with me for the rest of my life? Because he's going to be honed and tuned to things that I'm not honed and tuned to. And so that's what, that's where this falls in that passage. Now, Paul was able to say with great confidence that he finished the race and he kept the faith. And that's the part of the passage that I want to focus in on today. He poured himself out as a drink offering. He's like, he's like, Jesus, you're worth living for. You're worth dying for. I'm going to, I'm going to pour out my life for the sake of others to glorify your name. And, and he's like, and, but I can summarize my life by saying, I've kept the faith. I finished the race. I did everything that you've called me to do. I fulfilled my potential in you and fulfilled potential is something that we should all aim to do. One of the greatest tragedies in the world is unfulfilled potential, isn't it? Because it's saying they could have been so much, but they weren't. It's saying there was so much opportunity that wasn't realized. There was so much that could have been done, but was never accomplished. And so what we want is a life of of fulfilled potential. And Paul is saying, I fulfilled my potential. I, I even fulfilled beyond my own potential because of the grace of God on my life. I lived this life of faith and I endured. And so what I want to do is I want to help us to be able to run this race well. And so I've got a few points that I want to share with us today to help us make sure that we run this race well. And it's these four points. We need to define the race. We need to adjust the finish line. We need to cherish the prize. And we need to raise our expectations. To run this well, we need to define the race. We need to know what kind of race we're, we're running so that we can run it well. Has anybody ever gone out for a run that was different than what you were expecting? Right? You were like, I, I went for a run um, a few months ago after not running for a long time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I used to run this. I'll turn right. But it was a different right than I used to run. And so I intended a two-mile run. I went on a five-and-a-half-mile run. I wanted to die. It was awful. It was so bad. I could, I could barely walk. It was, it was like, I don't even know what's wrong with my body. I'm hurting in places I didn't know I had. And it, 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 the race was longer than I wanted it to be. You run, you run sprints a certain way and you run medium distance races another way and you run long distance races a completely, uh, a completely different way than the, than the previous two. And so if you go out to a marathon with a sprinter's pace, you're going to die out. You're not going to finish well. If you run a sprint race with a marathoner's pace, you're going to lose. You're not, you're going to be the last one across the finish line. It's, you're just going to get to see everybody else finish. And I guess there's some joy in that if you're that kind of person. Um, that likes watching other people win. Um, so we need to know what kind of race we're running in. And, and, you know, ours is a marathon race. This life of faith is a marathon race. Anybody surprised by the marathon that you're running? Now, certainly there are moments of sprint where you're like, man, everything is colliding at the same time. But, but the reality is it's a series of sprints that, that our life has that puts together this marathon of life that we have. So we got to have faith for a marathon and we got to pace like a marathon. So we don't need God to do all the things we expect for him to do right now because we've got a lifetime to see it realized. That's good. 
So I know if you're in, if you're in middle school or high school, you like, you're looking, you, like your, your life seasons are moving quickly and you're going to get to high school and then you're going to get to college. And if you go to college or a trade school and then you get out of that and then, and then you you expect to be a billionaire. <laughs> Everybody laughing is over the age of 40 yeah. <laughs> because the billions aren't there right when you graduate from college. You're, you're going to file papers for a minute and make far less money than you can live on. And you're going to live in a house with other people who can't live on that money either. And that's why they live together. It's not for fun. That movie, oh, they don't even know about friends, do they? If you're in middle school or high school, they don't know about that. In every other situation in the world, people live like that together because they have to, because they need the money. Not because they got so much money, they're not working, but that's a different, that's a different season. So we need, we need to define, we need to understand that we're running a long distance race. We also need to understand that we're running a relay. We're running a relay. We're not running a race on our own. Now, now I want to define the team. We're not running by ourselves. We're running together. So it's like a team relay. And on this leg of the relay with all of us right now, or those who are around you right now, if you're just here as a visitor today and you're just coming through, you're like, I'm not on your team. That's cool. You're with us this morning. <laughs> So for the, for the sake of the illustration, we're running together. And we're running together, not just with us in here today, but we're running with every group of people who are gathering in the name of Jesus today as well. We're just running in a different lane. But we're, so we're running together, and we're doing this race together, and, and we have a responsibility because we received the baton from a previous generation. The baton of the gospel that we received because they received the baton of the gospel. They, be, they received it from them. They received it from them. And they received it from them. So it goes all the way back to that great commission moment where Jesus said, go and make disciples. And they started making disciples. And here we are now. We're running this leg of the journey. But our responsibility is to hand it to someone else. Yeah. Now, it's really important that we define the race and we define the, the, the finish line. And I'll get into that in just a minute. But we need to understand that the finish line is defined by what kind of race we're running. And we're running a relay. So if you felt like your finish line is, is um, high school or college or the better job or a better house or a nicer car, or you thought that the finish line was retirement, family, I want to tell you that's not the finish line. The finish line is generations and generations away or tomorrow, whenever Jesus comes back and we get to be with him in glory, right? We don't talk about that much about that Jesus is coming back, but he is, and it's going to be extraordinary. We don't know when or how, um, but it's happening. That's right. And it could be like right now. That was startling. Or it could be, or it could be gen- generations and generations and generations away. But we're not concerned with figuring that out. We're concerned with living well today so that when he does come back, he'd be pleased to find us without stain and wrinkle, without blemish. And he can go, man, that's my church. That's my bride. That's what I died for. That's what I rose for. Um. You know, God has this thing about, about multiplication. One of the very first commands in the Bible was be fruitful and multiply. He's like, Adam and Eve, you're great. I love you. But go be fruitful and multiply because I want, I want more of my image on the face of the earth. I want more of that. So be fruitful and multiply. It wasn't, I, I guess it wasn't the first command. The first command was let there be light and there was and then everything came. So certainly one of the very first commands was to be fruitful and multiply. The first command to man, be fruitful and multiply. And so we have that responsibility, but that same command is echoed again in the Great Commission that I alluded to earlier, that Jesus said, now go and make disciples. Hey guys, great that you followed me. 
great that we're here. Great you believe in me again now that I'm risen. And I showed you the, 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 the hole in my side. And I showed you the scars in my hand. And, and I talked to you and I, I taught you about how my life fulfilled all of Scripture. I, like, I'm glad that we're together. But now I need you to go and tell everybody else the good news. That this life isn't all there is to life, but there's more. There's a, there's a higher reality. There's a greater possibility for you and greater possibility for the world that exists in the kingdom. You know, we, we see one person. God sees peoples. He sees nations. We see, we see a positive pregnancy test and God sees generations. He sees generations. In you, God sees generations. Whether you have biological kids or you only have the privilege of spiritual sons and daughters, God sees generations when he looks at you. And that's something that we ought to steward well and be excited about. So we need to adjust the finish line. I'm just going to keep on moving. Oh, wait, side note about, about now I want to say this. This is my notes. But um, we know that God's passionate about generations. You ever been bothered by the genealogies in the Bible? You're like, I don't get it. It's boring. I'm not going to read them. Right? Anybody? No? Okay. I was like, wow, it's just me. That's tragic. I'm glad everybody else is so passionate about the word. But these genealogies that we all trip over and we, we, we don't like to read, one of the messages in it is that God cares about the generations. One of the messages in it is that all the generations matter. And every generation comes on the scene and thinks they're the greatest generation. Right? You did it. Everybody's thinking about millennials right now. They're like, millennials. And thinking about whoever's after the millennials. You did the same thing. It's called being a teenager. It's called just being alive. It's called being egocentric and putting ourselves at the center of everything. So that's one of the things that God said is important. The other thing is in these genealogies is it establishes these lines and it adds credibility to the story because now we know that there's a name with it. If I told you that I went to Chick-fil-A and I ate a steak, you'd be like, that's crazy. If I told you I went to Chick-fil-A and ate a steak with J.C. Sherrod, now there's somebody you can check it with. Now there's somebody you can check it with. And so because these genealogies exist, you're able to go back and you're going to check things. And another cool thing that happens with this genealogy is it establishes that Jesus came from the line of Judah. So Jesus was in the line of kings, y'all. That's awesome. We also say that Jesus was probably also the Levite. So he's in the line. He's a Levite and a king. So he's a king priest. He's a priest king. And so he fulfills both of those functions as he reigns in heaven as well. But that's who our Messiah is. That's who we put our trust and our faith in. And we know that because of the genealogies that we don't like. I'm just glad other people read it for me and put it in the commentary. Because I would have missed that otherwise. Because I... Otherwise, would have ignored it. So now I read the genealogies, and I'm and I'm going, don't know you, but God, God knows you, and He sees you as important, even though I don't see you as important. There's a message there too, I guess, right? <laughs> so you preach to yourself about that, if you want. We need to keep moving. We need to adjust the finish line. Where are we trying to get? So we're, we're, we're running this relay. Where are we trying to get? Where are you trying to be? What's the vision? What's the vision? What are you willing to sacrifice for? Paul poured himself out for something. He was willing. He saw something so absolutely clear when his relationship with Jesus that he was willing to pour himself out as an offering, as a sacrifice for the benefit of others so that they could experience the great thing that he saw and he knew so richly and so deeply in his own heart. What do you see so clearly that you're willing to pour yourself out for? 
What do you know about God that you'd be willing to pour yourself out for? For him and for his purposes. Paul was able to pour himself out and as he approached the finish line, he's like, man, I've, I've made disciples who are making disciples. The name of Jesus is being glorified. Churches are established and they're growing and the gospel's spreading across. across it, a fire's been lit and it's spreading across this area. It's spreading across different nations and it's reaching not just the Jews anymore, but it's spreading out to the Gentiles and to the different nations. And so God's word is alive and active and it's moving. He's like, I've done, I've done my part. I ran my leg. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, get ready to run. Run this race, Timothy. Run this race because we could set the world on fire for Jesus. And if we do that, then he's going to come back and he's going to take us back to himself. And he's gonna, he, we get to be with him forever and ever and ever. Without the, without the veil of humanity and the veil of tiredness and the veil of misunderstanding and the veil of the finite nature of our minds and our soul and our body. You know, sometimes it's hard to relate to people just because we're tired. I look forward to a time where my tired is not going to get in the way of relating to God. I mean, you know, this morning I woke up, I was like, man, I got to read my Bible because I'm going to talk about it today. (laughs) And it was, but I'm tired. I, I mean, it was, it was easier to study than it was to read the Bible, like to prepare my thoughts than it was to talk to him because I'm, I'm an introvert. So luckily Christ lives in me. (laughs) He's even more of an introvert than I am. (laughs) He saw fit to dwell inside of me. And so relating to him is a little different. So we, but we need to adjust the finish line. Now I want to tell you what happens when you don't know I have a clear finish line and I'll do this quickly. But we see in the beginning uh, when, well not the beginning, we see in Exodus when the Israelites are getting released from slavery out of Egypt, they, they set a finish line. And for some people, they just didn't want to be slaves anymore. And, but they didn't have a vision beyond that. So when they were released from captivity in Egypt, they got out of slavery and they're like, I want, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. I'm here. Exactly. Now what? God, this manna you gave us. It's really funny, their attitude about manna. They're like, God, did you bring us out here to kill us? No, he brought you out here to do the thing that he promised that he was going to do generations before to Abraham. So get on board, take the baton and run, guys. But they got out not thinking about Abraham, not realizing it was fulfilling promises. And and so, um, well, that came later. What am I? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on it. Y'all were looking at me like I was crazy. I was like, did my chronology off? No, we're good. Yeah, we're good. So Abraham came before Moses. We know that. <laughs> Why y'all true? Y'all, y'all got me nervous. I was like, am I preaching the right Bible? I got I'm like, we use, we use this one, right? The black, the black one with the gold thing on the side. That's the one. Okay. And y'all making me nervous. Everybody looking at me like, no, no, he doesn't. Scared me. Wow. Okay. So maybe I'm saying it backwards or whoo. So they're coming out of slavery and it's their turn to run with the baton, but they don't know where to go. They don't have a finish line in mind. So they got out of slavery and they're like, oh shoot, we finished our race. And so they just started, started, they just got, they got lost and started complaining and started whining. The thing about manna, I was just going to say in the very beginning when they describe manna, they describe it as like honey and coriander. And then towards the end, after they had that manna for a minute, they're like, it's bland. It don't even taste good. It's chalky. We kind of have that attitude with God's provision, don't we? 
I was real excited about that job. It was awesome. It was providing. It was paying the bills. I love my supervisor. These people are crazy. I don't even like this. I don't even want it. This job, this is stupid. Why do I put up with this? Well, a few weeks ago, it was mad. It was sweet and awesome. So they get out of slavery. And some people saw, had a vision beyond that. They're like, no, 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 let's run with this. And they, they wanted to get beyond the Red Sea. And so they, got the, they saw some miracles. They saw beyond the Red Sea. And then, and then they get bound up again. And some people had a vision to get to the promised land. And, and so, so some people ran in and they saw giants in the land. And they came back and they said, y'all, we can't go in there. It's crazy. And some people like Caleb came back and he goes, hey, there are giants in the land, but we can take it. I got a vision for the promised land. And so the people who didn't have a vision for the promised land were told, you can't go. And so the Israelites wandered around the desert for 40 years. And so in that time, Caleb's vision would have been growing. Joshua's vision would have been growing. They're sitting here, they're going, oh, the promised land's coming. I saw the fruit. This is going to be something special. Let's go. Let's take this thing. I got a vision for it. I see it. I've seen it with my own eyes and it's worth giving my life for. And so they're getting more and more excited and they're getting turned and turned and turned and turned up for this finish line that they're chasing after in the promised land. But some people just wanted to get to the promised land. They just wanted to see it and they wanted to stop on this side. So they get to the Jordan and it's like, hey guys, on the other side of this river is the promised land. And some of them went like, oh, I'm good. I'll just, I'll hang here. And then some people said, no, no, no. I want to get into the promised land. And God let the people settle on that side of the Jordan. He was like, fine, they can settle on that side if that's what they want. And God will let you settle if that's what you want. And so what, what some people said, they said, we need to get to the other side of the Jordan. So by miracles, they got to the other side of the Jordan and they got into the promised land. But these people who got into the promised land, not all of them had a vision to settle in the promised land. And so they settled in the promised land instead of settling the promised land. And they just stopped and they didn't overcome the enemies that were in in the promised land. And so the enemies ultimately overtook them. Because their vision was to just get into the promised land, but not to live a victorious life while there. They wanted to have a promise, not be the people of promise. And God's calling us to be a people of promise who don't just settle for some land and don't just settle to get across the obstacle, but who would persevere and pursue him for the rest of our lives until we experience the fullness of the promise that he has for us. And so they get across the, and so they, they settled and, and they were ultimately, uh, many of them were, were overcome. I wasn't planning on saying most of that. So let's keep moving. We need to cherish the prize. It's kind of like the finish line. What drives you across that finish line? Get in the prize. Justify. Won the Belmont Stakes yesterday. Won the Triple Crown. 13th winner of the Triple Crown in history. It's a pretty big deal. Pretty special. Broke some records in doing it. And, and set new precedent in doing it as well. What, what provokes people to train these horses so hard and to give all of this money and all of this energy into an animal to run around a dirt track or a grass track, whatever, and to cross the line. What, what compels people to do that? The prize. Justify got $800,000 for running around that circle yesterday. And then all sorts of other money and, and that's won all the other way. All the betting and all the breeding and all the other things that happen in that industry that I don't understand. But there's tons of money there to be won. And that's what compels them to do it. Nobody's out there saying, yeah, you know, I'm just out here because I like it. I just ride the horse around. No, they want to win. They want to win. The prize that Paul was pursuing was, was, was God himself. God himself. A lot of people say, here, you need to know your why. 
And knowing your why is important. But before we know our why, we need to know our who. Who are we doing this on behalf of? Paul was doing, he was living his life and pouring himself out on behalf of God himself. But time after time, these people that I just talked about, the Israelites, set their eyes lower than God's vision for them. They, they forgot about the prize and they were just thinking about their lunch today. Yeah. God's saying, endure, fight for this thing. There's, I've, got, I've got provision for you. It's coming. You just, just stay on track. And they're like, no, no, I don't want that prize. I, I want this right now. And the wanting this right now has messed up more lives than just about anything else I can think of. Yeah. Just wanting it right now. The prize is the fullness of God himself. We receive that after we finish our leg of the race. We need to, um, finally, we need to raise our expectations. Easter is an everyday reality for the believer. I've been talking to our team last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm frustrated. Can I just be honest? Is it bad for a leader to say they're frustrated? It's okay? Some people are like, there's a mixed response. This church wants me, this side wants me to be frustrated. This side doesn't want me to be frustrated. <clears throat> Don't tweet that out though, because I know my boss probably won't like that. Um <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, Easter's amazing. The way people come with so much expectancy. And like we come ready and we're like, man, worship's going to be over the top. You want to know what makes worship over the top on Easter Sunday? It's that everybody comes expecting for it to be over the top. Yeah, come on. Come on. That's the thing that makes it awesome. Yeah. It's that we show up and, and do the business. It's not that the worship team is, is extra loud or has some sort of special sauce. They're, they're, not, they're not. It's that the church shows up ready to sing and celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the frustration that I was talking to the team about, I'm like, how do we get Easter Sunday in July? How do we get Easter Sunday in June? How do we do it? I said, I don't want to get a, I don't want a petting zoo. I don't, I, I don't want an Easter egg hunt. I don't want any of the other extra things. But how can we stir that expectation and that anticipation in June so that we can experience the fullness of God right now? If the resurrection of Jesus is an everyday reality for us, the church, why, how can we begin to walk in the fullness of that reality? And why don't we? I would, I, so, so here's some, here's some clues. I'm, I'm not without answer. I, I'm just kind of like, how can, how can we do this? And I'm like, I wish I had care shots, but I'd probably just like care darts. That's bothered. It's just pew, pew, like go chase after Jesus. Love him. Come expect it. Get ready. God wants to deliver somebody. God wants to set you free today. God wants to redeem you today. God wants to save you. God wants you to be washed in the blood. He wants you to be full. He wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to experience the fullness of his Holy Spirit in this life. And I wish I could just, thank you, Tyreek. <laughs> thank you. Family, I, we need to have expectation. I've never been to a race that wasn't full of expectation at the starting line. Sometimes there's a little bit of dread, like, oh, this is going to hurt. Like at certain kinds of races, you're like, this is going to be terrible. But I'm so excited for the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Oh, we should come every Sunday with expectation that God's going to move. And our God is so faithful that if we come on Sunday with expectation for God to move, He's going to do it. 
We're not, we're not waiting for God. He's waiting for us. If we wake up or go to our, if we go to our prayer time at home with expectation, then man, God, God will meet me at home. Reggie, can you go ahead and come up? I, I want to make sure I don't go too long. Um, if we, if we, um, is Reggie, Reggie's not in here? Somebody, I'll, I'll play, I'll do it. Oh, he's back here. Oh, no, I got it. I can't hear you. Uh, so I was just going to play something awesome, but you, I'll let you do it since you're here. <laughs> I don't want to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, if, but family, if we, if, we, if we go into our prayer closet with expectation that God's going to meet us, the extraordinary thing is God's going to meet us. Yes. Faithfully. The music woke you up. The, the reality is if we go into Scripture expecting for God to teach us and instruct us and to, and to meet with us and to inspire us, He's going to do it. It was the expectation of the finish line. It was the expectation that Paul had that when, when Jesus spoke, people's lives would be changed. He had that expectation. He carried it with him everywhere. Because when Jesus spoke to him, his life was changed. And so he went out with... with expectation, belief with faith that God was going to do it. Paul kept the faith. And I want, I want that to be said of us. That we kept the faith. That we trusted God. We, we saw clearly the race he charted out for us. That we saw clearly that it was a, it was a marathon, it was a relay. That we inherited something extraordinary in the gospel and, and we have the privilege of passing it to another generation. I, I would love for us to understand the finish line is not, is not, is not the, the next job. It's not the next house. It's not the next relationship. But it's, it's eternal glory. It's, it's the fullness of God himself. It's something that we can't manufacture. We can't fake. It's something that only God can do as we are faithful to the rest of that. He's going to be faithful to his part of it so that we can experience that in its fullness. And then, and then lastly, it's this, just that we would do this with great expectation and with eagerness. That we would be eager to stir our hearts before we come to church on Sunday so that we're ready to worship, we're ready to shout, we're ready to sing. So that we'd be eager for the small groups, so that we could be eager for the classes. You know, the, the, I'm excited about, about the space that we've got at Ridgetop. The grace, we're, we're talking about calling it Grace at Ridgetop, just our, our, our classroom space. And, um, because we're not defined by the space, we're defined so, but that's who, when we're there, that, that's where we rally. It's our, it's our townhouse. It's our apartment, our, com, our, our condo, right? And we're going to meet there and we're going to rally there and we're going to have a good time. But that's not the finish line for anything. And, and some people are, you know, some people are like, hey, that's cool that we've got that. So a building's next, right? And it's like, well, sure, but that's not, that's not the finish line. The goal is not to get a building. The goal was never to get space. The, the goal is not, the goal is, is to, to reach the community with this good news that we're so excited about having received and we're so excited about sharing. So just, just some thoughts. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. I ask that you would stir our hearts, God, that, that you would, you would grant us the, the privilege of a clearer vision of the life you've called us to live, the race you've called us to run, that we would, that we would um, count it a great privilege to pour ourselves out 
for your kingdom, for your purposes.